Welcome to Audible Brutality. Two grouchy musicians humorously complaining about the state of music today. Featuring Adam Percy and Tim Vandeven. Take it away, Adam and Tim. You're probably asking yourself, dear listener, why is Adam singing the blues and playing that diddly bow so poorly? Uh, well, let's just say this week, after some technical difficulties with a recent episode recording attempt, mismatching schedules on different sides of the great Canadian rock, and just general problems of doing anything in a pandemic, uh, the introduction of this episode has fallen to me alone. Yeah, it fucking sucks, but not to worry. The Wonder Twins will be back in action together soon, and we have, in the past little while, had a couple of really great interview episodes for your deep, deep ear hole pleasure. This episode, Tim and I talk influences, gear, and really great music with my old buddy Colin Kelday, aka Snoog, who's an electronic composer and beatmeister, and he also flies under the name of Quick Kick. I won't take up any more talk time on this one. So, ladies and gentlemen, here's the interview, and please enjoy. Colin Kelday is an electronic music maestro, exercising disciplines in sound, ranging from calm, ambient soundscapes to thunderous beats capable of bringing down skyscrapers, like the horns of Jericho, but with oscillators and circuits. Colin Kelday emerged from suburban Toronto slumberland to embark on a career that has led him from hostile house and warehouse parties to opening for major influences like Pop Will Eat Itself. A regular contributor in the Toronto music scene, he is also known as the co-producer of the final Watchmen album, Slow Motion, with DJ Ian McPherson and Reese Fulber, and for scoring the cult film, How to Be Deadly. While no evolution is possible without imperfect iterations, throughout his career he's formed, nurtured, and ended the bands ubiquitously named Spa Hitch, Static, Osgood, his current project, Quick Kick, under the inscrutable handle Snoog, has legs in its quality of production and longevity in its imagination. I've personally known Colin since we were but youngling bucks, trying to make a musical buck and knee-high to a grasshopper. We've had some history and some pretty epic adventures. I've been looking forward to bringing him on our humble podcast for a while to catch up and let Tim pick at his warm brain goo. So without delay, welcome Colin to our little podcast of horrors. How you doing, buddy? Good, good. Thank you very much for having me. This is great. Hey, we're uh, we're we're super stoked to have you, man. Jeez, uh, I think the last time uh, you, Tim, and myself all were in the same room that was uh, in Toronto at an acid test show, right? That's right. At the at the first acid test show in. I don't want to say how many years, actually. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. You were at the, whatever, the Red Velvet or whatever that place was called, that show? 
No, I wasn't at that show. I didn't make that show. Uh, I remember Byron. I was like, "Oh, lucky! That's good." Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was better that you were at the other show. <laughs> well, I have to say about that at that show though, uh, it was almost like acid test didn't stop. You know what I mean? Like you had jumped from the early '90s to that point, and it's like, oh, you haven't like the sound was absolutely still acid test. Wow. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was really good. And then Adam, of course, and Steve. And Tim, you guys are all having fun on there. Adam, especially, always <laughs> having fun. <laughs> I didn't set fire to my keyboards this time. No, no. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I think yeah. there's insurance yeah, issues that. with that, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, have to, I have to say, though, like, what an intro you guys just gave me. And I just want to bring up real quick, uh, I had given you at that show all my CDs from 2003 till now. Yeah. And uh, a couple weeks later or whenever... We were talking about remixing each other's stuff, and uh, you had sent me uh, your basic critique of Galactic Conquest. And I, I have it here. Do you, uh, you can cut this out if you want to, but I have it here, and I'd love to read it. Yeah. <laughs> this is what Adam <laughs> okay. Adam, Adam e- emailed me. Remind um, me what horrible thing I said. <laughs> oh, it wasn't horrible. <laughs> Adam's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> So you started, he said, so I have Galactic Conquest cranked up in the automobile here. This is fucking great, man. Fluke meets poppies with nine inch nails and a healthy pinch of orbital front 242 and a spoonful of industrial Depeche Mode having sex with Vangelis. Wow. And that... (laughs) That made my day. You have no idea how much that made my day that day. <laughs> I was like, that is the best quote I've ever heard. Dude, you can put that on your website if you want, man. Please. Yeah, that's what I quote up there. But I will. Adam says I'll this. put it right next to it. <laughs> yeah, it's good to say, from Adam Percy, not my friend. You know, just so that <laughs> nobody thinks it was a friend that wrote that, right? So <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> it's all true, though. I don't know. I mean, like, we're going to talk probably a little bit more about, like, sort sure. of your influences. But I think, especially with your newer project, there's a lot of those elements in there that I think are really great. Um, you know, thank you. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's great to hear. Uh, speaking of shows, this is something we often ask our interviewees. What was the first concert you ever went to? And I, cause I read this on your website and I actually thought this was pretty interesting and, and sort of prescient. Yeah. Right. It was Victor Borg at the Roy Thompson hall in, I don't know, maybe. Oh, wow. 85, 86. Man. Right. And my dad played this, uh, this comedian he's a Danish pianist he's also a comedian he never really got to the piano <laughs> uh you might remember him from the muppet show or something like that so anyway my yeah, yeah. parents always played this on road trips and we'd always hear it basically they they said uh, it would be a real treat for me to go down and see him and it was amazing i was the only kid there of course <laughs> uh, must have been like tw- 11 or 12 and not very old uh, but i loved it yeah yeah but i was i was gonna answer right off the bat I think the the first show that I went to independently from my parents was Depeche Mode at the CNE Grandstand with Jesus and Mary Chain and Knights of Reb. Wow, dude. <laughs> wow. I'm and super that's, jelly. <laughs> that's awesome. That was a big one. <laughs> that was a big one. What was was that was that uh, Black Celebration tour? Was that Black Celebration? No, that's Violator. Violator, Violator 1990. Holy yeah. shit. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. You're man. making me, you're making me feel old, man, because my first concert was in 1979 with my dad who hated it. <laughs> and my first one alone was in 84, which I loved, but what was the one mm. you went with your dad? Yeah. Kiss. Kiss. Kiss on the dynasty tour. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I could see how parents in the seventies would hate that. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> My right. my father was so upset after that show. He's like, I can't believe that everybody got up in their seats and I couldn't see anything. Rawr, I'm writing a letter to complain. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, I got to see Kiss. That's what I wanted to see when I was a kid. 84 was actually Van Halen oh, on the man. same yeah, on the beautiful. same same tour. Well, yeah. So yeah, like right. you guys are talking about these cool synth bands, and I'm like, woohoo, rock and roll, bro. <laughs> so hey, but at least Van Halen was using an Oberheim then, so that's all right, right? 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 Oh, yeah, that counts of course. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and Alex Van Halen was using Simmons drums, so there you go. That's electronic, that's right? Right. There right? you go. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Basically, like based on sort of your influences, I'm I'm assuming that a lot of that has sort of carried over to what you do now. Like you you've sort of been doing electronic music for a while. Did it get started with that? Did it get started with 
you know, I think, I think it really started with Depeche Mode. Uh, actually, it started with Huey Lewis in the news. To be quite honest, nineteen eighty four. Awesome, <laughs> nice. Okay, yeah. yeah. It, like that's the first pop pop rock band that I actually clung on to. I think Duran Duran was in there somewhere too, but and so was Huey. By the time Back to the Future came out, Huey was just the shit. Oh, and, he was um, it. He was it. Yeah, yeah. And he still is. If you've listened to any of his stuff since I saw him, I got to see him at Fallsview casino uh 2006 or 7 wow and nice. it was amazing i was the only one there i was the only dude my age there <laughs> everybody <laughs> nice. else all all the older ladies were whipping up there you know throwing things on stage at him he rocked it he did a knee slide uh during um i want a new drug i'm along with you like that yeah. right on that cue yeah, yeah. of that song he did a knee slide and he held that note his backup band like the news they're an incredible r&b band they're a great uh, band so yeah 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 so and they just came out with an album february in february 2020 wow um, and it was their last album they, they put together like eight songs that they had recorded over the last decade because he's now he's got hearing issues so he's uh he yeah. can't perform anymore oh fuck so, so you you probably got one of the you you managed to get just in there like sort of near the just, end of their yeah. So, so the yeah. backing band was the news. It, it, so it was Huey Lewis and the news. Yeah, yeah. They've changed a couple of players. Uh, the bass yeah. player is no longer there, and uh, the lead guitarist isn't there. But the rest of them are all still the same. Wow. They added some horn players. It was like watching a Blues Brothers show. To be quite honest, it was just it was just so fun and R and B ish, and you don't think that. Like then they play their '80s hits, and it's just it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Brings me back to '84. I know that Huey Lewis is fairly. Uh, He's fairly faithful to his musicians. Like, he's not going to say, well, I think we should replace this guitar player on this song because blah, blah, blah. No, That's right. what the yeah. producer says. Yeah, I know yeah, that yeah. early on that the producers were saying, lose the drummer. And he's like, nope, I'm not. No, I lose the drummer. Oh. I'm not doing the recording. Especially not him. Yeah. Well, he's a great drummer because it's incredible. Incredibly tight. Well, when I hear them play, I know it's him. Yeah. Because he has a sound, which yeah, for a drummer to have a sound is... You can say what you want about Ringo. You can say what you want about Charlie Watts. They have a sound. And totally. Bill Gibson of the news has a sound. And I think right. that's important in music, that you have a sound. Uh, he's incredibly tight. Like, he rivals the drum machine, you know, like, to a yeah. certain degree. There was a couple of singles there at the beginning that were drum machines in the studio, but then live, you can't you can't tell the difference yeah. at all. That's nice. cool, man. Nice. So, that's yeah. very cool. Speaking of live shows, you uh, played in a few bands before. And for our listener that may not be aware, uh, Colin started, um, well, there was uh, Static, Osgood. Oh, actually, the first one was Spa Hitch, right? Spa Hitch, that's right. Yeah, and you guys what opened a... for um, In Spiral Carpets, I think. Was it Spa Hitch no, that opened? No, no. It didn't go quite like that. We opened for you. <laughs> we oh. opened for Acid Test. <laughs> oh, was, we met you guys for the first time, Acid Test, at uh, a show headlined by Technicolor Raincoats at the Rivoli in November of 1992. Right. And that's where we met you guys. And I remember my keyboardist, Matt, he had the same keyboard as Adam. So you guys just hit it off right away. It's like, oh, the... Ensonic EPS, is that right? That's right, yeah. The Ens yeah. Yeah, Ensonic <laughs> EPS. Yeah. And nice. uh, so you guys hit it off and just started talking about, yeah, discs, samples, whatever. <laughs> you know. I remember being very jealous of, the EPS was cool because you could add things to it. Like it had like an eight output expander so you could right. and he you know, one, send sample he? mixes out. And Matt had, I think it was something like, at the time, this was a huge amount of memory, but like a 16 megabyte expander. Right. And I only had like yeah, four right. and I was like, God damn it. Would he notice if I just switched keyboards? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Never happened, but you know. <laughs> no, no. But we, yeah, we saw, so we opened for, uh, up for you guys then. Uh, we right. didn't open up for the Inspiral Carpets. Our manager got Tom Hing Hingley, Hingley, uh, I can't say his name. Our manager got the lead singer to wear our Spa Hitch t-shirt on stage. Right. And then it got tons of coverage on Now Magazine in Toronto and everything like that. And they all even alluded, it's like, oh, and the lead singer in Spiral Carpets uh, decked out in this wonderful Spa Hitch t-shirt. You know, we're like, yes, success. <laughs> so you were in a few bands, I guess, sort of like in that period between like, say, 90 and 2000. So Spa Hitch, Static Osgood. That's right. 
you wound up playing a lot of sort of I remember you guys opened for us a few times, like at places like the Rivoli, but you also played a lot of like different places because the rave scene was pretty fast and furious yeah at that Mm, time and you guys wound up playing quite a few rave sets yeah did that sort of affect how you guys played or wrote music like were you writing for raves or was it different between the different sort of bands that you were working on at the time uh well we were in a band called an uncontrollable substance (laughs) and uh mainly just trying to mimic any of our influences we had at the time, which was Depeche Mode and Knights Reb and Front 242. And so, but we were mainly trying to do that style of music. And uh, it wasn't until a couple of the other band members in Spa Hitch went out to CFNY and uh, they kind of infiltrated the building. The building was in Brampton and they went out and kind of <laughs> invited themselves into the radio station <laughs> and befriended Martin Streak and Paul Dingra. And Paul Dingra became our manager for uh, for about a couple of years. And that's how he got us the gig with you guys. And um, Right. And then, and basically he also introduced us to, I think they were CFMY uh, DJs at the time, Dr. Trance, Don Burns. Yeah. Uh, DJ Ian was down, I think at 108 and uh, James K. And he got them to come over to our house and uh, hear what we were working on. These guys came over and auditioned us to see if we were you know rave worthy and uh they liked it uh they booked us in a rave called nitrous 015 uh and it was a a fantastic they booked us at a a cherry beach orchard um in this huge warehouse behind uh the 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 practice spaces there and there's four or five thousand people we went on at one o'clock in the morning and uh yeah hardcore techno became our life for a good couple of years (laughs) we abandoned the synth pop and then went hardcore techno so but i at the time i wasn't i was more of a cheerleader for the band i was there's two guys steve and matt from spa hitch they were just incredible with making beats and production and stuff like that stuff i didn't know about i i learned it from them right so so you commando rated cfmy (laughs) (laughs) we don't we don't know whether he wore underpants we don't know whether he wore underpants (laughs) or not he probably didn't so you're probably right at him okay that's right sorry (laughs) it was i think it was after a band practice it was the night of the program called the thursday 30 right uh with martin street i remember that he knew us enough at, at that point and he let us walk right in while he was on air and um, while he's playing a song, he says, so what are you guys doing? He's like, I don't know. We got this new song. And he flipped the, the microphone around to the four of us and he interviewed us right on the spot. Wow. And it was, it was an incredible thing like that, that station had at that point. So it was uh, mm-hmm. 90, 90 to 92. They just this band of rebels who appreciated music. And, you know, we we're 17 years old at the time. And they just gave us a a slot that I'd die for now, you know, or kids should die for right now. Yeah. Yeah. They were pretty open to exposing new music. That's for sure. Yeah. I remember Martin and Paul Dingra. Those guys really elevated the Toronto scene. They sure did. Yeah. To the same level as other bands that they would play on the radio. And I think that was something that was really cool. And I, you know, Tim and I have talked extensively about this already on the show, but the changes in radio. Yeah. It's like you said, people would die for an interview like that now because, Radio is just so closed. Yeah. Such a closed medium now. It's- yeah. Well, think about this. So I always call it acid test redux because I'm not the original drummer. I'm the better looking drummer. <laughs> but, uh, sorry, Jim. Sorry, Jim, if you're listening. <laughs> sorry, Jim. Um, uh, it's not my fault I'm this handsome um, <laughs> and this humble. Um, when uh, the acid test stuff came out, when we did the, the EP, the show that you saw, The Garrison, yeah. we had a radio guy and we were actively pushing Shome in Montreal because because I live in Quebec and we were trying to get him to get Shom just to fucking listen to the song. And I kept telling him, tell him you've got an in. The drummer lives 40 kilometers north of the station. You know, mm-hmm. I could bring some swag down and we could do a little yeah, right. thing like, hey, man, you dig this tune, call in and tell us and I'll give you a, I'll give you a shirt. It probably yeah. won't fit because we're stupid and we only ordered fucking yeah, three large shirts. Yeah. We only ordered three large ones, but you know, yeah. hey, well, you can hang it on your wall or you can, I don't know, you can, you can put it on your dog and take him for a walk, but we couldn't get the time of day from that station. Yeah. And 
Yeah. I actually know a couple of the DJs. It's not like it used to be. No. It's not like it was like you're talking about CFNY. You walk in, you're like, and Martin's like, "Hey, man, what's up?" And you're like, "Well, we got this tune," and like, "Okay, interview time. Let's play your song." Yeah. He's just hoping that somewhere in the middle of that song, there isn't you aren't dropping f bombs, or they're like, "Okay, yeah, there goes yeah, our right. license." Cool, you know? <laughs> yeah, he was famous though for dropping those yeah. f bombs. <laughs> but but this is it, right? I mean, that doesn't exist yeah. anymore. Like Adam and I no. were like killing ourselves just trying to get. We got CBC, which was fun and great, and uh, yeah, pays great. well. But we couldn't get anything local with acid test because that whole thing doesn't exist anymore like you had. No, it doesn't. We did do a whole show on that where Adam and I commiserated about that. And, you know, we cried in our beers over the whole thing. (laughs) Back in our day when radio was different. (laughs) Pepperidge Farm remembers. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the the good thing about the CFNY legacy, well, it's not the good thing, but unfortunately, uh, Martin Street passed away, and um, a couple of years ago, the old CFNY group kind of had a uh, um, a ceremony for him just to remember him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so my guitarist and I, Byron and I, went down to the Opera House, old stomping ground, really, and uh, we we saw all those DJs, all of them together, and then I ran into. David Marsden, who kind of ran things at CFNY. Oh my gosh, I totally remember that name. Danny Elwell was there. Like all these old school, not old, but old school DJs were there. And then I ran into a guy named Rob Stewart. And he was the main dude behind the industrial band EDF. And I don't know if you remember that band, but yeah. they were pretty much like one or two or three. Like there's Mel Havoc and then there's EDF in, in Toronto. Right. And um, right. Uh, we ran into him and we used him as an engineer on our first couple of demos in both Spa Hitch and Static. And um, we ran into him. We introduced ourselves. He had a hard time remembering right at first. Uh, but then he told us about, oh, can I interview you, Colin? And I haven't taken him up on this yet. I said, oh, yeah, where, where do you do that? And he says, well, David Marsden started uh, this thing called NY the Spirit, nythespirit.com. And basically, it's old CFNY, so it's online right now. And you can listen nice. to all those people, all those same DJs. They all you know pitch in once or twice a week. And they just do a playlist, and they talk about whatever the fuck they want to talk about. You know, It's great. It really is nice. good. It's really nice to hear. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. We're going to put that on, up on this episode's page yeah. when we launch yeah, it yeah. for sure, because that's awesome. I have a fairly similar story with Martin Streak. Actually, the band that Tim and I were in when we first met uh, North Star yes. Jack. That's um, where I met you. When we had our EP. That's right. <laughs> that's um, right. Yeah. Me and Gareth, like they, they had moved CFNY down to the Eaton Center. So that's they right. had that sort of storefront right, yeah. area. And, uh, I remember we had we were going around and I think we were like trying to hand out CDs to radio stations and we drove by and I'm like, stop here. And I run out of the car. He's double parked on Young Street, <laughs> run out the car, w- run into CFNY. There's Martin Streak taking a commercial break. And I'm like, hey, man, how's it going? We have this quick little banter. And I'm like, here's my new EP. And he played it within the yeah, hour. Yeah. Like he, he said, what track should I play? And I said, this one. And, you know, I do sort of miss that, mm-hmm. you know, they would at least give you a oh, chance. Sure. That they would be like, hey, man, like you guys put the effort into making the music. We play music. Let's put it on the Absolutely. air. Let's give it Absolutely. a go. Maybe somebody will like it. Maybe it'll be the next big thing. You never know. And I, I always, always, always appreciated that, especially about guys like Martin Streak and Don Burns. Yeah. And, they were really into. They were into the scene right. outside of the yeah, radio. They station. were just all about so. the music, for sure. Hundred percent about the music. Can't say that now. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you certainly can't. Well, you got to go scrounging on the internet and all that. And it's just... Well, or it's it, it's <laughs> yeah. fallen back to um, college and university radio again. Uh, it certainly but, has, for sure, for but, sure. But you again, you got to you got to know somebody. Yep. All of my experiences with college radio have been that I've known whoever it was that I was soliciting. So right. you can't just show up at CIUT and go, hey, man, we're like super dope. <laughs> and then, you know, because uh, this might be the all goth hour. And they're like, right. I'm sorry, man, but this is like yeah. not goth. This is shoegazy, you know, or whatever. Right. So you don't yeah. fit their format. So you got to find the, the DJ. You have to have a friend or, or someone that, you know, in there that says, yeah. Yeah, 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 I'll play your junk. Yeah, sure. No problem. I'll put you on. Yeah. Or you're on the hunt for 
playlists or something like that, <laughs> which is just the other spectrum of, of this silly industry now. <laughs> hey, so Colin, I got to ask you, do you yes, still sir. have the sample that you took of my little crummy Yamaha keyboard back in like, I do. I knew you were going to bring this up because you nice! brought it up at that acid test show. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I don't, I, I don't, I don't know if I have the sample. I'll have to find it, but it would be on my Kurtzwill K2000, which is sitting collecting dust in the closet right now. <laughs> uh, but it still works. It still fully works. But you brought that up at the, like, I think I, I approached you real quick because I recognize you in a second. And I said, Tim, what's up? And you went, I remember you. Or you sampled my drums at Concord. I was like, yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So I'll, I'll have a look. I'll, in the, the future, sample I'll, that I'll... you pulled off that Yamaha keyboard that I have, Adam was using it as a controller during the North Star that's Jack right. days. Yeah, right. I think he had been to too many shows before and smashed all of his other controllers. And I said, sure, you can use mine. That's, Just... that's what we do. Please, yeah. please don't break my controller, good sir. It's a fair yes. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, so... I remember that you loved the slow strings patch because you said, oh, it sounds just like that Moby song. And I'm like, cool. Yeah, yeah. Because we were all listening to play at that time, too. That was that was a that was a monster at that time, that record. It was. It was huge. We, I listened to it actually just the other day and it's very minimal. Very minimal. Yeah. I was surprised at how minimal that record is. But again, so now we're delving into like, we're back in Brandy. We used to make electronic music. We had to do with two rocks and a, and a bird. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> when you come from our era, I, I think it's coming a little full circle, but it's easier with the tools. But yeah, I mean, when we were younger, we had, you know, I know Adam, you had Cubase, but I had a notator running off a Atari 1040 ST <laughs> and yeah <laughs> it was insanity and then you were actually doing full MIDI work and the biggest problem in my book was actually recording it is actually finishing a recording of it I mean we had a DAT machine <laughs> that we could play to but we didn't have much so it made us work longer on things and I think that's a good thing mm -hmm. uh, and we learned all that stuff and then when technology got started getting better around yeah, that same time, like 2000. I'll always uh, boost the efforts of propeller heads with uh, Rebirth. Yes, how yes, it turned Reason. How it turned into Reason. And then I don't think Reason changed everything. I think it just was another thing that that's when Ableton became big. Cubase went digital. Notator was bought or turned into Logic by Apple. Mm -hmm. And they went digital. Right. And now it's so easy to make anything. You can make stuff on your phone right now. You could literally make it on your phone. What was, uh, do you have a top show that you've seen live? Like, Ooh. what's your number one show that you've been to? Uh, say acid test, hmm. say acid test, 2016, say acid test. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> one of the best live shows I ever really did see in the end. <laughs> the whole experience was Pop Willie itself at the Carling Academy 2005 and the Reformation Tour. Yeah. Dude, totally. Like our venture to get there for one. And then the set list, I get goosebumps just talking about it. The set list started off with the uh, Cure for Sanity's first track, uh, PWEI versus the Moral Majority, which is just this. What is yeah. the truth? That's right. About rock music. <laughs> yeah, this three yeah. minute uh, soliloquy by this preacher guy. And it kicks into Dance in the Mad Bastards, one of my favorite songs. It was like literally my introduction to Pop Will Eat Itself, that one. And they played that, and we all went nuts. <laughs> we all went absolutely uh, <laughs> nuts. Uh, so any of those shows, actually, on that tour. Well, yeah, you did a, a little sort of documentary-style movie. I, I remember, because I was, I was on that trip with you, yes. uh, with Byron and Matt, and I remember you guys, like, you had these newfangled digital cameras and stuff, <laughs> and you were, like, taking video all the time. Yeah. And I'm like, what are these guys doing? And you actually, like, took all that footage and made a sort of a documentary about right. the trip. And it wasn't just about Pop Will Eat Itself, the band, getting back no, it together. It was for sure. our little journey. And I thought that was so cool. I was really surprised when you did. Did you plan that at all? I don't, if you recall, somebody's brought this to my attention a number of times, but I didn't realize it back then. It's like, I've always had a camera in my hand. <laughs> mm. I'm always doc uh, documenting everything. Right. Um, I wasn't planning to do that. I mean, that what digital camera wasn't even mine. And Matt brought it one and I brought one. Yeah. We were just going to take pictures and just take a couple of movies. This is pre-smartphone. 
And I remember when we got there, this is 2005, right? It was January 2005. That's we right. We got there and went in the door and I was really nervous about the security guards confiscating our cameras because that was a big no-no at the time. Yeah. And the guy looked at me and he's just like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Just go in. <laughs> we're just like, okay. <laughs> so we went in and it, I didn't plan it and we recorded the best footage ever. And I should also say that like my, my day job is I'm a video editor and I uh, it's my, my favorite thing ultimately to do is to uh, merge audio with video. I think that's pretty much what I'm all about in the end of things. So yeah, making a documentary like that was just literally for us. But uh, it did all right. It looked pretty good for just a couple of ghetto little digital cameras, uh, two megapixel cameras. Nice. It's up on YouTube. We'll 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 make sure that link goes up as well. I, yeah, sure, sure. I was gonna say actually, like this is something I've always noticed about your music. It's especially actually, and let's talk about your new project, Quick Kick. Sure. Your music is pretty cinematic. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, like I can almost see pictures you're conjuring up. Or I, I can sort of hear where you're going with a sound like, uh, you know, you mentioned Vangelis and sometimes there's these just beautiful soundscapes that you've got going on through your music. Beautiful, big, fat pads and, but then, you know, some thundering beats. It's it's broad, but feels sometimes like, like almost like a movie. You scored a movie. Mm-hmm called How to Be Deadly, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> what What are the big differences for you between writing an album uh, compared to, say, like doing a score? Like, I haven't seen the film and I actually want to check it out. What was sort of the criteria for the score on that? And was it different than, say, writing like something for Quick Kick? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, to start, I guess movies are definitely my number one influence. Like movies are where I start from uh, like I, I look back on my history of even being alive and it's just like oh I remember when I I was a Blade Runner at one point and I remember when I <laughs> you know fought those aliens like it's just it's that's kind of who I am it's just most inspiring thing ever and uh scoring the picture after being an editor came kind of easily to me and I didn't it, it happened by accident somebody asked me to help them score a television show which was called it was called Life's a Zoo, and it was um, a stop-motion animation reality show, n- not unlike uh, Big Brother. Okay. And it was 26 episodes, and I had to write. It was an hour-long show, so I had to write about 20 minutes of music a week. But it came quite naturally to me. So by the time I made it to How to Be Deadly, I, I kind of knew exactly what they wanted. Uh, but they, I should say, they didn't know what they wanted. So I, I gave them a couple of tastes of what I think it should be. And they just went along with it. It's editing stuff. It's all about timing and where things hit. If you set up your tempo before you score a scene, if you look at a scene, you kind of have to discover where the tempo is. And then you've got the whole scene at that tempo. And then you just, you can stop and start, but that tempo s- still keeps going on. Uh, at that point, uh, during deadly, I was just like, they asked me to do a lover boy song. Like they just, can you do like something like lover boy? And I said, uh, sure. Uh, I tried it. Awesome. And, uh, can you do John Hughes type music? And I said, definitely. I'll, I'll give that a shot. And can you do like a really intense orchestrated scene? And I said, yeah, the pl- if the, if I have the right plugins, I'll do it. <laughs> and I did. So, oh yeah. Ultimately when I'm writing quick kick stuff, I have to invent that movie myself. Right. It takes way longer. And if I have like a picture or something, I can kind of just do it right on the spot. But Quick Kick, man, some some of this stuff, that Galactic Conquest album took, I think, 14 years. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote it in 2004. And as I was evolving as a mixer and or learning about mixing and stuff like that, because I wasn't getting it right at all. uh, Just like, oh, I can apply this to that. And then, you know, 2017, I finally finished it. And it wasn't like anybody was waiting for it or anything. <laughs> so, but like, so the cinematic thing, yeah, it's a, it's a huge part of the quick kick thing. Hey, I got a question for you over here, big guy. What are some of the biggest influences that you have? Like you've mentioned Huey Lewis, which I think is super dope that it's, it's nice to hear somebody that's really heavy into synths and keys and stuff actually to like something. So I don't know, middle of the road. I, I don't want to, I'm not denigrating it. I love Huey Lewis too, but what are your top five? What What would be like, oh. you know, here's Colin's top five. These guys are the reason I do what I do, or they're not the reason I do what I do, but I still like them anyways. <laughs> I've answered this question so many times since the pandemic started <laughs> that I made a list. Can I, can I read off the list? The list is 13 <laughs> bands. Can I read this? List hey, this off? is your interview, man. You do what you want. Hey, man. You, you go for it. 
It ultimately starts at John Williams. Nice. John Williams is the shit. I, I recommend someone go look at the overture for Catch Me If You Can. If you listen to that song, I don't know how someone can write something like that. It's yes. the most insane, jazzy something. I'm not, I'm not even sure what to call it. Uh, it starts at John Williams. Right. goes to Huey Lewis. Nice. At the same time, I got Raising Hell and License to Kill by BC Boys and Run DMC. There you I go. I got those tapes at the same time. Yes. Uh, Depeche Mode came in there when uh, Music for the Mass came out and Strange Love was the first song I heard by them. New Order, I got into because of their B-Sides, Substance 87. You remember Substance, but there was another one called Sides, New Order Sides. Yeah. And I totally got into New Order because of that. Okay. It was the most bizarre thing. I didn't know what a B-Side was at the time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, next came EMF. Uh, unbelievable blew my mind at the time. But their next album, Stigma, is bar none, like yeah. the best, one of the best albums I've ever heard in my life. Nice. Uh, I love it. And, it. and it's weird. That album didn't get any traction. And I remember that, too. We were roommates at the time. And you put that album on, and I'm like, who the fuck is this? And you're like, it's Stigma. <laughs> and I'm like, you lie. <laughs> it was. It was a pretty amazing record. And it kicked some serious ass. And I have zero idea why that album didn't do anything. EMF Unbelievable to me, it was always strange because it's the same fucking drum loop as Blame It on the Rain. Yeah, yeah, the Air B and Rakeem beat. Yeah, I just remember thinking the first time I heard Unbelievable, and I was like, fuck, that's I think that beat actually put them in a in the wrong category, to be quite honest. Well, that and the sidewards baseball hats, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, the year later, like they were a bunch of punk rockers and they were doing this Stigma album and it's, it's incredible. Tim Burgess from the Charlatans last week or two weeks ago had a listening party mm -hmm. for Stigma. No way. Been, yeah. EMF has come out of the woodwork in the last two years. I don't understand why. I think it's just, you know middle age and you know right hey we did this once you want to come along for a ride <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, like they had a zoom call that i was part of i got to ask questions and nice they got to know who i was like who like what bands do that and speaking of tim burgess uh, charlatans is next on my list nice what they're the one of the best brit rock yeah. bands i've ever heard we we saw them live once together i think at the cool house did we at not the cool house yeah yeah they were thunderously good. Like, yeah. I think that's the one thing that with the charlatans too, is a lot of people think they're kind of a one trick pony, but if you look at their discography, oh, it's incredible. there are albums that are like full on funk records. Yeah. And then there are albums that are straight yeah. up rock. And then there are other ones that are mm -hmm. almost folk. Like they're the chameleons of Brit rock. That's like, true. Actually, chameleon is like, a perfect word for it. Yeah. And, and they go into synth, they go into a synth world as one, a, a couple of different albums. Yeah. One album sounds like The Police. It's like almost a dub record. Yes, totally. Uh, and I'll never forget when Tim Burgess pulled out his Bob Dylan, for sure. I think that was telling stories for half of that album. He was That's right. Oh, like, telling stories. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Newfound ways. <laughs> Next on my list is uh, Papalita Self. We know that for sure. Oh, yeah, dude. Uh, the Prodigy. I love yes. The Prodigy. That, oh, that's that's what I should say is probably the best live show I've ever Prodigy? seen. Prodigy? Okay. I should say that. The last time I saw them, or frontman for Osgood, uh, Mike Domingo and Matt, and I went to Downsview Park, and it was an open, uh, outside festival, and that's how you should see Prodigy, I think, in the end, and uh, just blew our socks off, and they always do. Like, you can't follow them. No one can follow Prodigy. And they went on right after Weezer. <laughs> wow. It was the kind of weirdest, <laughs> weirdest setup. It's like you had to go to Weezer and then go across the stage to see, I think it was Wu-Tang Clan, and then come back and see Prodigy. It was wow. Incredible. The Orb is my uh, major influence into Psychedelica, <laughs> for sure. I love every single thing The Orb does. Yeah. Adam got me into them, too. Uh, back in the North... Back in the North Star Jack days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it was about the same time that Adam actually got me into them, too. Like, I didn't give him a chance, but you, I think, Adam, you love Orbis Terrarum. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And so... Totally. I think the f the first one he turned me on to was Orblivion, because that that was the one with the CN Tower on it, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We could all relate. <laughs> well, that's it. And it was just all the towers around the world that were in a circle on the album. And I remember Adam saying to me, because I had said, listen, you know, you really dig electronic music. 
I want to get my I want to get my feet wet here. You know, like the closest I ever got to electronic music was Emerson Lincoln Palmer. <laughs> yeah, <you know>? right. <laughs> and I said, so give me, give me, give me. And uh, what's your go to? What's your desert island? And he's yeah. like, this one. Oblivion. So I ran out, bought it, listened to it, went, holy shit. If I could start over again, I'd start collecting them, but I'm not going to start collecting them now because there's too many. I think there's 18 records. They're still going. Yeah, they're still going. Uh, I was going to say, like, oh, he releases once a year right now, which is kind of the same thing I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to do. That's my goal is trying to release one thing a year. The last three records, one was an ambient record, not unlike Vangelis. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the next one was just kind of a dancey record, but the one that... Yep dropped right after the pandemic started was the abolition of the royal familia it's called Hmm. and it's the deluxe version of that on itunes or wherever you buy i buy my music i i don't i don't stream we buy our music too nice so does so so does our listeners so does our so does our solitary listener he buys our music she buys their music too fuck the bootleggers yeah uh well but like that album i don't know if you guys have heard it but there's this one song on it that you know i take walks around you know you have to get out and walk around and there's one song where it was so fitting for the time it just felt like on the song there's a guy just speaking in a megaphone sounds like the government just telling you to shut up stay inside it's curfew and if you break any of these rules you will be shot <laughs> like and it goes on for 10 minutes it's this huge thing and as i was listening to it it's just whoa uh it's just very fitting remarkable recording and and then of course <laughs> on the other side of of the orb is that dub reggae feel <laughs> you know mm-hmm. that cheery mm-hmm. fun fun bouncy side yes but yeah they're amazing they're like i always try to keep up with them as much as i can nice yeah and there's two more bands there's uh the doves the doves are, i think are the last oh yeah madchester band uh if you want to call it that um okay i think they're the last remnants of that new order hacienda i think they used to dj at the hacienda back in the day and uh they're just beautiful albums they cross over they have a little bit of techno influence but they're mainly uh, like a three-piece live band and finally the flaming lips are uh, just a, one of the most incredible bands i've ever seen or heard that's what rock and roll is all about to me <laughs> is the flame nice. have, you, have you seen their live show their live shows are pretty intense <laughs> like, i've seen o- only oh no i saw two uh yes uh, the one we were all sitting there and we were all deeply stoned, which is the proper way I think to, to go. <laughs> and, uh, and like the band, like there was all this just white noise coming from the, the stage. And then there was this huge giant rainbow vagina pulsating in the middle of the screen and the band walked through it <laughs> to come out onto the stage uh, and then, and then uh, balloons uh, and, and then confetti. And it's just, it's the most remarkable thing. And it still is. They're still going strong. They're, they had an album this year too called uh, American Head, and it's just amazing album. Not unlike uh, Yoshimi Battles, the Pink Robots, which is what is the first album I got into by them. Mm-hmm. Right. Those are my those are my main influences. What about uh, uh, Screamadelica? Oh yeah, I forgot Primal Scream on this list. What am I thinking? <laughs> Shame on you, Colin. How did I forget Primal? Yeah, I know. I know. You're that's right. what I that's hate right. about top ten lists, man. You always forget something. There's always yeah. like, oh damn it. Yeah, that's true. I left one of the kids in the damn hot it. car. Damn it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah no uh, you're right primal scream definitely uh, i don't know why i i don't know what slipped my mind there but screamadelica for sure i bought the album because of the cover i didn't hear them before and that's another way you can get me always is just having an interesting cover cool have you seen that well i think it was a bbc documentary but i think you can find it on youtube and it's actually a making of screamadelica no and i haven't seen that. yeah and it's it actually interviews like everyone including andrew weatherall and what does he keep saying? It's it was uh, it was uh, we we had the confidence of ignorance. <laughs> he said the thing is is before Scream and Delica, Primal Scream was really just kind of like a Creation Records rock band, yeah. right? Yeah. And for whatever reason, that just wasn't jiving with this album. Like nobody was really happy mm-hmm. with the output that they were making, and somehow he got invited to remix one of the songs before the album was. I think it may have been um, uh, loaded, right? And, uh, oh, it would have been loaded, yeah. Yeah, he wound up remixing loaded. You know, we want to be free to do what we want to yeah. do. We want to have a good time. We want to get Fonda, loaded. that's right. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and they liked it so much. They're like, we should just do the whole record. And apparently all Andrew Weatherall did was put everything into, a, into an S900 sampler. 
and just snip it up <laughs> and make a record. Oh, wow. And so they had this rock record that he just basically sampled the best bits of and made an album. I think even the bass player at one point was complaining. He's like, I had this really complicated, funky bass riff. Do, 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 do. <laughs> and he just, he sampled three notes. So yeah, it was yeah. like, do, 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 do. Dude, <laughs> like, he totally like you know ate my bitch yeah right <laughs> so, i see that for sure <laughs> in that line like you sent me this really great picture not that long ago of our rack of gear that we had oh. when we were roommates yeah. <laughs> how monstrous was that i think that's when it was yeah. just totally out of hand like you got <laughs> totally my, yeah you, just... got, you even have my um in between the two speakers you even have my my parents laloids tape yeah. decks <laughs> so, <laughs> sitting there i am amazed that that thing did fall on someone and and injure them severely that rack went right to the ceiling and uh it sounds like your k2000s in the closet now and uh what's <laughs> is there a piece of gear that you use now that's kind of like your go-to gear or is it software based now like is there a certain program you use or a certain plugin that gives you the feelies that you used to have before uh yeah well like i said with reason when reason came out in one f- fell swoop, it basically told me that I don't need hardware anymore for what I do anyway. Right. I'm not a, much of a synth enthusiast. I mean, I do appreciate the synth and it's, you can't replicate a synthesizer sound the way a hardware does, but I was more of a sampler anyway. I just sampled things and then used, you know, right. standard sounds to, to do things. So when Reason came out, uh, the Boomtang Boys I used to hang out with uh, quite a lot. They showed me the ropes of how to use it. And uh, there's a program called Recycle. I mean, you and I did this. It was tedious work, but like, Adam, we, we had to slice up our beats. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yeah. like just for a, for a one bar loop, you end up with seven slices. And then this Recycle came out. That's right. And it just basically, you put the file in, you pick your slices, you export that, and you bring it into a, a like a rack-mounted thing in uh, Reason, and then you play it like that. Yes. So once Reason was introduced to me, it's like, uh, well, I don't need any of this stuff anymore. So I'm using Logic. I use Logic mainly as a, a mixer. I learned how to mix in Logic. Now Reason is integrated. So whatever gets that sound that you're looking for, I don't think it really matters. Basically, whatever can produce that sound I'm looking for, that's pretty much it. Reason's a good program. I haven't upgraded in a while. I know it's... Neither uh, have I. They've, they, <laughs> they're basically <laughs> like a, a DAW with synthesizers yeah. now, right? Like you can yes. record in Reason actual audio tracks with your synth patches in that lo- neat little rack unit that they have yeah, yeah. Uh, you can you can actually track as well do you tr- do you use it for tracking or you stick with logic and just use reason for instruments yeah like in the last year i've been noticing that i like i play bass into reason and i i play it back and i put a basic compressor on it some of my mixes are sounding better coming out of reason than they ever have out of logic that's the weirdest part wow uh, it's just uh, mainly dance music or if i'm just doing break beats and stuff like that it's just a big i find that it's just it's ready to go in logic i have to t- tinker with things a little a little more and reason just seems seems that it's ready to go mm-hmm. and the other cool thing about the latest upgrade of it is now before you had to sync the two which is uh, one of the other reasons i got rid of hardware is i couldn't stand the the time code sync, you know, right? Uh, like, cause it would always crash or something like something would always fuck up with it. And so, yeah, now you can open these, every single reason rack you can open in logic now. So they're just VST plugins or AU plugins. Oh, basically. sweet. I think I need to upgrade. Yeah. That sample <laughs> process that I say, it's like, now I can cut that doing it all in reason. As long as my library's there, I can just do it in logic and mix it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's a pretty cool workflow. I, I know it's fairly popular, but I'm surprised it's not a big go-to thing. And I maybe some of that is, you know, they spend a lot of time sort of making their software feel like hardware. Right. And I wonder if the new generation, the new generation, not us old fuckers, you know, you know, I wonder if the new generation is like, you know what? Sorry, Gramps, I don't need what you used to use. I, yeah, I've yeah. got fucking Star Trek now. I, I can yeah. do everything like on a touchscreen, like... You know, why why waste pixels? Man? There's also, too, like companies like Behringer that are coming out with 
replicants of uh, old synthesizers and old modular synths. And, you know, like like the discussion we had with uh, Jeff a little while ago where he would love to have all of the older gear, but he can buy a Behringer brand new out of the box for 500 bucks. And if he does a gig and some dope spills a beer on it, he's he's not like, oh, my God, my Moog, you know. Right. So but like all that's coming back too. yeah. So maybe it's just maybe the market's flooded. I mean. I've always thought I thought reason was great when Adam turned it up, turned me on to it for me was made my life a lot easier at the time because I'm I play keys. So at the same time, I'm like, okay, well, I can do all this stuff instead of a thousand deaths by edit in Cubase. I can do this in reason and then export this over and boom, blah, 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 hit rewire. Boom. I can hear. Yeah, it works. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm still, you know, banging two rocks together to (laughs) to make telegraph sounds based on what what, what you're trying to do. So (laughs) speaking of production, you uh, co-produced actually uh, a record for a band called The Watchmen. That's right. Kind of a big Canadian rock deal. Back in the back in the day, back in the day, we're gonna make a drinking game out of every time we say back <laughs> yeah. in the day. Yes, yes. <laughs> I had to do my homework on a shovel. <laughs> you must, yes, yes. Get that man a puppers. Yes, yes. <laughs> you co-produced their album Slow Motion with mm-hmm. DJ Ian and Reese Fulber. Yes, sir. They were they were pretty alt rocky. Do you know what made them sort of move to? Because Ian, of course as we mentioned, was pretty involved in the electronic scene and rave. And Reese Fulber yeah. is known for Frontline Assembly, which is like industrial. They're an industrial yeah. band, plain yeah. and simple. Yeah. What made them sort of make that move? There was a bunch of reasons. And uh, uh, their their drummer had left the band. And I don't know specifically why, but the drummer had left the band. And they were uh, like their record deal, like definitely said one more album. And so they had to produce an album. And obviously Electronica was big at the time. And I was working with, uh, DJ Ian right from uh, 96 to 2000 on remixes once in a while like he'd call me up and you want to do a remix for the Rankin family I was like what wow <laughs> nice okay like it's like a, wow. a dance mix of the Rankin family and uh, we did other like Joy Drop I don't know if you remember that band and yeah yeah yeah. Orgy, Orgy did a cover of Blue Monday they wanted remixes for. And right. Stuff, so. And I guess word had gotten around that uh, Ian and I were doing remixes. Then the Watchmen said, you want to do a remix of this song? And so we did one and they liked it. They came in to meet us. And then all of a sudden we were producing five out of the 10 or, or nine, five out of the nine songs on the record. Wow. And I thought we would be working with Reese Fulber and we weren't. I never met him. <laughs> His songs are great on the album. I like, I like, it's exactly what you expect out of the guy. Yeah. Ian and I were still in learning experimental mode. So I was applying anything I knew into this sort of new digital world. You know, hard disc recording was, you couldn't afford it back then. It was like $20,000 in 2000. And so it was just coming in at that time. So we're, we're still doing things. You were like, a, was it ADAT or DA? Oh, it wasn't even that. I think or... it, we were just doing to DAT. So he had a good mixer and everything. So we, we'd do the old car test and everything like that. <laughs> you know, like that's just the way it was. Right. Good right, Lord. Right, right. <laughs> I knew that the bass player, Kenny, was dabbling in electronic music. And um, uh, Danny is just a fantastic singer. And the guitarist, uh, Joey, he, uh, right. he and I got along really well. <laughs> we were just... Uh, honestly just smoking weed and <laughs> just uh, trying to come up with some excellent. stuff and i think we we went to the record release party at lee's palace about a couple months later and so there was no live drums on what we did for him right they transformed it into a typical watchman show and actually ultimately it should have sounded a little bit more like how they played it live right it was missing the drummer i think ultimately but the songs were Right. Songs were fun that we did and uh, they uh, transferred well to the live show. And they, they've been playing it ever ever since. I have not spoken to them ever since. <laughs> that was like 2000. Yeah, so it was summer 2000. Hey, Tim, didn't Jeff say he was playing shows at one of the Watchmen's bars in Toronto? Oh, wow. I think that's what he said. Yeah, one of the guys from the Watchmen has a bar. I think that's right. Yeah. We don't, as you, as you can tell, Colin, we don't even listen to our own show. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we're all getting old. We don't have the memories we used to. Well, once this goes up on, well, once this goes up on the site, we're like, you know what? Uh, yeah, we're calling ticked off. Yeah, we're just, done. Next. Yeah, Next. Yeah, that's right. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, well, I know that the uh, the the guitarist Joey. I, I tried to get in contact with him uh, right before uh, the pandemic, but uh, he owns 
Vapor Music, which is oh, a yeah. huge company out here in Toronto. And I've been trying to just get in there and write, just doing commercial stuff. So one day I think our, our paths will cross again. He, we had, we had a meeting set up, but then the Raptors won. Uh, <laughs> we never redid it. Curse it, basketball. <laughs> we never redid the meeting. Stupid basketball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey man, this has been, uh, Colin, this has been a great interview. And both Tim and I really super appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Like you said, you've got a bunch of albums up under the Quick Kick moniker. Where can our listener go and purchase said items for their ear hole pleasures? Uh, purchase. Purchase is the key word. <laughs> yeah. Yes, please buy. Uh, yeah, definitely go to Bandcamp, I think, is the first place to go. Like if you want to purchase, if you want to support the independent artist in a way <laughs> that us old folks appreciate. You can buy my music at uh, quick-kick.com or uh, Bandcamp. Sweet. I'm not a I'm not a streamer. I've never been a streamer, so I want I want to go into a, a Super Tramp song saying that right now. <laughs> streamer, I'm not really a streamer. <laughs> yeah. Nothing, not a streamer. Uh, I mean, it's it's good for what it for what it is. I'm not. I can't argue with the market. That's for sure. But uh, I don't get any value from it. No, it doesn't yeah. pay. It's like one of those things where you slap on Spotify and you're sitting in the backyard uh, drinking a beer, smoking a joint, whatever your libation of choice is. Maybe <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe it's just lemonade because you're old fashioned. <laughs> but you're just so you slap on Spotify and it's like all this stuff and it's cool. It to me, it only works if at some point you go, "Hey, what's that?" and then you right. actively investigate and purchase it. But, uh, you know, like That's right. if, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I get a kick out of these bands that are like, whoa, we just surpassed 10,000 plays on Spotify. I'm like, cool. That and five bucks, I'll get you a coffee at Starbucks, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, yeah, right. No, there, there isn't any money. And I'm ultimately, I'm not looking for it. Like it, it would slow me down. Like if it, if I treated it like my day job, yeah, I would just hate it. And I, yeah. and I, and I started to hate it. There was a point where I gave up. And then a couple of guys who were still going and still ang as angry as hell, <laughs> uh, they were they they were still putting it out. And I was like, oh shit, okay, I'll just stay putting it out. I didn't, like you know, it's been a, a massive learning curve, yeah. especially the last ten years trying to figure, especially like learning social media and marketing. I mean, yes, uh, it's just annoying. <laughs> it's just kind of a an empty void. Yeah. And I'm waiting for the next big thing. Cause there will be something that changes this up as we know, like, you know, every 10 years, this, it goes through a massive shuffle of formats or whatever. Colin, it's all the microchips and the COVID vaccine. Ah! Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Adam and I will be able to link up remotely and be like, Brr, that's right, Adam. Brr, there you go, Adam. <laughs> yeah. It'll take podcasts to a whole new level. Uh, oh, yes. From our pods. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Implanted in <laughs> our brains. Yeah, but it's been fun, guys. This has been an excellent Hey, man. Excellent, we, we, uh, again, we appreciate sure. your time, man. We'll definitely be posting a lot of links to your stuff so stand by for our one listener to be like thank you hopefully yeah clicking lots of times <laughs> and uh, yeah wow this one listener really likes my discography it's one it's listener but what a listener <laughs> yeah i think it's rob swift actually but um oh it is rob swift yes my man <laughs> there you go so if you get a lot if you it's like you get all your hits from cambridge it's rob so there you go that's right yeah yeah I got. I certainly got my guitar from him uh, at Galt Guitars hey, for sure. There you go. I went, I went. I traveled an hour and a half. I was like, I could go to Steve's music. I could go to Long and Quaid up the street. But I said, no, no, no. My my boy Rob <laughs> sells guitars there out in go. Cambridge, and I went out there, and we we had a good time catching up. And uh... the preceding podcast was brought to you by Rob's Guitar Shop. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, excellent plug. Excellent plug. I'm actually Justin, yes. stoked we managed to get a plug in <laughs> yeah. for his guitar store, man. Like, I was trying to figure out how can we do that. Like, yeah, yeah. boom, we. Thanks, Colin. <laughs> that's that's yeah, awesome, no dude. Problem. No, yeah. no problem. So, without sounding ultra yeah. cheese, you know, where it's like, yeah, so the next topic is guitars, and why should we shop and buy them all at Rob's <laughs> Guitar Shop in Cambridge, Ontario, conveniently located right. just off of the 401. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. 401? All right. <laughs> well, listen, man, it's been, it was really great catching up with you, man. And um, keep making music, man. You too. You too, boys. Great talking to you with you guys. Thank you, good sir.
Well, that was a pretty awesome interview. Right, Tim? Oh, right. Yeah, Tim's not here. <laughs> That's okay. Tim's actually going to be hosting the next one. He's got the next one solo, so I'm just sort of throwing this forward right now. We have another great interview actually coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, we can't wait to share that one. If you like our podcast, our humble little podcast, please don't forget, uh, if you listen to us through iTunes, go and give us a review, give us a like, give us some stars, some sparkles, some shine. We like that stuff. And it helps us to help you. Also want to point out, actually, that we have just launched some swag. That's right. We actually have t-shirts on our site, and they are reasonably priced, extremely comfortable, and you actually get to have a shirt with our faces on your chest. Hot. Yeah. So don't hesitate. Don't delay. And hey, I think they look good, if you had to ask. Yeah, hit our website. It's up there, uh, stuff for sale, and links to uh, places where you can buy all of Colin's great music. Uh, will also be on this episode page as well. I hope everyone's staying safe out there in COVID land, and uh, we'll see you again next episode. Audible Brutality is presented by Adam Percy and Tim Vandeven and recorded remotely on Denman Island, British Columbia, and in St. Jerome, Quebec. Music submissions or general inquiries can be made through our website at audiblebrutality.com. Give us a like on Facebook or Instagram. And of course, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the Audible Brutality podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Thanks for listening. <laughs>